Are you ready for the word this morning? You don't sound ready. Is there anyone in the room this morning? Are you ready for the word of God this morning? Come on. All right. Am I very loud or am I just very excited this morning? (laughs) I feel like I'm shouting. Is it the microphone? I am just really excited because today we're going to continue our series on the upside down kingdom. And who's been here for the other two? We've done, this is number three. Okay, so there's a couple of us. If you've missed, we'll do a quick recap, but somewhere there is a sermon available. And I want to encourage you this morning, who brought a Bible? Wave your Bible if you brought a Bible this morning. Okay, who's got an electronic Bible? Okay, awesome. If you've got the electronic Bible, you can look at version and follow along with the scripture in there, and you can make your own notes. It's actually a very little nifty app. And... Uh, We have been talking about the series on the Upside Down Kingdom, and we started looking at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus started speaking in Matthew 5, and he continued through Matthew 6, and he continued through Matthew 7. And what is so amazing about the Sermon on the Mount is that this is actually a sermon that Jesus spoke to illustrate how do we actually live as citizens of this kingdom. And he educated the disciples and he taught them, what does this kingdom of Jesus actually look like? And that is why we spoke about the upside down kingdom, because we saw as we spoke through Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 in the last two weeks that the upside down kingdom refers to Jesus' kingdom that is in complete opposite contrast of the world. Amen. So the way that the world tells us to live, the values, the ethics of the world is in the complete contrast of what Jesus teaches in the kingdom. And we said for us as a church community, this is really important to understand because our vision is to establish a kingdom community in the city where we are planted and ultimately in the nation as the Lord grows us. But It's a beautiful vision, but practically, how does that actually work? How are we supposed to live that out? How are we supposed to establish kingdom on the earth when we don't know what the kingdom is? And so this is where we started off and we said that the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in our hearts. It is Jesus' kingdom in heaven that needs to be established on earth. And so recap of session one, we spoke through Matthew 5, where Jesus started off with a segment called the Beatitudes. And we said that those were the attitudes that he's actually calling us to live by. Okay, so we spoke through Matthew 5, and then we spoke through Matthew 6, where we focused on Jesus's teachings, where he spoke through a lot of things that has to do with the inner life of a disciple, that has to do with What does our hearts need to look like on the inside? Because that will actually determine what flows out on the outside. Amen. And we spoke through how Jesus actually condemned and criticized a lot of the religious leaders of the day. Because they were all focused on the righteousness of their outward behavior. The image that they wanted people to see. But on the inside it was actually rotten. On the inside, it was so far off of Jesus' kingdom, of what he actually came to establish. And so he warns disciples, he said, your inner motives and what goes on in the inside of your heart is way more important 
than what you do and say on the outside. And so we spoke through that last week, and today we're going to conclude with Matthew 7. And this is actually an interesting chapter, because now Jesus actually transitions from Matthew 6, where he ended off last week, we were saying, he said, do not worry about your everyday needs. Because if we only seek the kingdom and seek the kingdom first, everything else will be added on to us. Amen. And so that was referring to all our daily needs, what we need to survive, what we need to accomplish and live our daily lives by. So now he transitions and he goes into Matthew 7. And so Jesus jumps straight into it. Okay. We know by this time that Jesus does not sugarcoat his message. Okay, Jesus spoke very directly, and, and we said, I think, in, in session one, that actually Jesus' teaching offended many people. And so we're going to start reading in verse 1 to 2. So if you've got your Bible, you can follow along. In verse 1, he starts off with this. He says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. And the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So I can imagine when he started speaking in this segment, and remember this was all one teaching, and I can imagine just this awkward silence as Jesus started and he transitioned from this place of don't worry about your everyday needs to don't judge. And I actually think this is probably one of the most misquoted, misapplied, and misunderstood verses of all of Jesus' teachings, of all of his words that he ever spoke. Why do I say that? The word judge there in Greek is actually krino. And I think when we speak about judging, we always think of, okay, I'm actually correcting someone, or I'm telling someone that that behavior or what they are doing is maybe not scriptural, but actually, if we read between the lines and we do a proper study of what Jesus was actually addressing, he was talking about this. That word krino actually refers to a harsh, self-righteous, censorious judgment. The word censorious, I had to go and Google that. <laughs> the word censorious means the following. Hypocritical, condemning, disapproving, fault-finding, and unforgiving. What Jesus was teaching in this first portion of this scripture was not that we are not supposed to, as Christians, evaluate other people's behavior, judge ethical and moral conduct, you know, judge teaching. There's a lot of scripture where Jesus actually says that we have to judge. In other words, we have to evaluate. We have to make moral assessments of certain things. But what was he talking about in this particular scripture? Again, remember, Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, he was always condemning a lot of what these religious leaders taught and a lot of what they lived and how they lived. And here Jesus transitions from the place of this is what the inner life of a disciple needs to look like to this is how we must treat one another in the kingdom. So, all of this Sermon on the Mount speaks about how we must live in the kingdom. And Jesus says, I don't want you to judge with a hypocritical, 
condemning heart and attitude. Because that's the way the Pharisees of the day would judge other people. They would judge other people based on what people did out of a place of they were doing exactly the same thing. Are you following this morning what what the distinction is? A hypercritical evaluation that pretends to know the motive of a person when in reality we actually don't have any or all of the facts. And this reminds me of that story where, you know, the woman, the prostitute was actually surrounded by all the religious leaders of the day and they wanted to stone her because she had a sexual sin. And Jesus came and he started writing in the sand. Do you remember that story? Now, scholars differ about what was, the Bible doesn't say what was Jesus actually writing in the sand. Because as he was writing, all of them left. They dropped their stones and they left the circle. And in the end, it was only Jesus and this woman standing there. And Jesus said to her, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Some scholars actually believe that he was writing the sins of those who wanted to judge and condemn her in the sand. And they realized that actually we are not in a position to judge her because we are guilty of the exact same thing. That's what Jesus was against. This is what he was condemning. The Amplified actually says, Do not judge, criticize, and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority, as though you are assuming the office of a judge. So Jesus is actually saying that there is only one judge. And we are not it. (laughs) Okay? We are not that judge. In other words, we are not to criticize, give opinion where we do not have all the facts, and condemn others and place a sentence of, you know, she's guilty when we don't actually know what is actually going on. That's what he's talking about there. And he says, just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, so you will be judged. So the principle that he's making about this kingdom and how we treat others, I believe particularly in the body of Christ, is, you know, when I am struggling with something, don't go and point the finger at other, people's that are, other people that are struggling with the same thing until I deal with my own heart first. Because otherwise, the way, the standard at which I judge my brother and sister is the same standard that he will judge me. And really, this speaks about the kingdom principle of sowing and reaping. Amen? So what we sow, if we sow good seeds of encouragement and life and joy, that's what we will reap. If we sow judgment, that is what we will reap also. And I heard someone once say to me in a counseling session, yes, that's exactly it, you know, karma. And I said, no, 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 (laughs) no. Okay, okay. Let's not misunderstand each other right now. And I just want to say this because I felt as I was preparing, this is something that I've heard Christians say all the time. Yes, I must not judge because karma. Okay, what is karma? Karma is actually part of Hinduism, Buddhism, India type of religion that says what I do in this life will have a boomerang effect in the next life. Reincarnation. Reincarnation. Okay, I just want to set the record straight, that is not biblical. 
we are talking about the principle of sowing and reaping. Please don't ever quote karma or tell people, yes, karma. Okay, we are not Buddhists. We are actually kingdom believers. We don't believe in that. We believe in sowing and reaping. I mean, I just felt like I had to put that in there. But what does it not mean when Jesus said, do not judge others? It does actually not mean that we don't ever make moral evaluation of what is going on around us. It does not mean that God doesn't call us sometimes in a place of relationship, in a place of fellowship, to bring each other correction. Amen? Jesus actually tells us to do that. In John 4, I think it's John 4 verse 12. Did I include this scripture here somewhere? James 4 verse 12. It says that God alone is the judge. So therefore we must not speak evil of one another or criticize or judge each other when we haven't examined and evaluated our own hearts first. So this is the principle he's making. He is quoting to us. And I want us to have a look at verse 3 to 5. He says, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And I know this sounds like, okay, what a harsh word this morning. But actually, it's a real positive and encouragement word for us this morning, because this will help us to help one another. Jesus is saying, not all of us are struggling with the same thing, but sometimes we are struggling with the same thing. And what tends to happen sometimes in our lives, and I have been guilty of this, is I will sometimes find, you know, a temptation to point the finger at someone that I think, oh, really, are they struggling with that thing? And meantime, the reason why I'm pointing to that is because I'm actually struggling with the same thing. We have seen in counseling that often sometimes we will point out what we want to change in others because really that's an area that we want to change or see changed in our own hearts. And Jesus is actually saying this morning that I want you to help one another. I want you to correct one another in love, out of relationship, out of a place where we give each other an opportunity and permission to speak into each other's lives. But I don't want you to go around pointing the fingers at everyone else when I haven't looked inside my own heart first. That is the principle this morning. And I love that he uses this analogy, and I'm going to use the end of the broom here. Because he says, look at the speck in your own eye first before I notice a speck in Sam's eye. Because maybe the thing in her eye is much smaller than the log in my own eye. Okay, so now I've got a log, I've got an issue in my own life, but I'm trying to point out to Sam her issue, and really, I'm just hurting everyone around me, because I'm trying to point out what I haven't actually dealt with myself. Does it make sense this morning? Is it a serious word this morning? <laughs> okay, 
And I think sometimes this is something that I've noticed in all of us that we struggle with as Christians. Because in a world where moral, morality and God's word and the living out of God's word, the way that God teaches us, is not lived out in the world around us. So who feels like they are constantly confronted with the things of this world? And you find it very hard not to bring correction where you see people are doing things that are contrary to God's word. Amen. Because Jesus still calls us to love the sinner, but not the sin. So how do we actually do that? How do we actually follow this scripture and follow this command and allow the Lord to help us all to grow into healthy kingdom disciples and also be a blessing to each other in our community? I mean, but we are actually called to give unconditional love, but not necessarily unconditional approval. And this is the distinction that I just felt the Lord wanted to make when he spoke this thing about judgment. That we must understand that God is not saying, do not make moral assessments, do not correct each other. But he is saying, do not point fingers when I'm struggling with the same thing. And we don't necessarily have to approve of someone's behavior in order to love them. Do you agree with that this morning? And I find for myself that that sometimes, as a kingdom disciple, that's sometimes something I struggle with. Because oftentimes when we, you know, if the Lord gives us permission in healthy relationship to speak to one another and say, hey, that thing that you're doing, I don't think that's really helping you. Sometimes people are very sensitive and they're very hurt and they will immediately tell you, don't judge me. Ne? Who's ever heard that? And sometimes people say that because they feel judged. Because you are exposing something or something is pointed out to them that they know already is a challenge. And, you know, there's the way in which we do it. There's the way in which we, in love, confront things and communicate things. But I think this is something that the Lord is really going to test us where we need to grow in this area. That we are supposed to be able to speak into each other's lives. But what he doesn't want us to do is have an attitude where I am actually more sorted out than what you are. So therefore, that gives me the right to tell you X, Y, and Z. That is the attitude that he was addressing that he wants kingdom disciples to live by. Sometimes I really struggle with this idea, and I've been there myself, where as Christians we can find ourselves in a place of finding fault all the time. Who's ever, I've struggled with it, I will be honest, okay? And sometimes it's not necessarily that it comes from a bad place. Sometimes you just, you have a high standard. You believe what the Word says and, you know, you want the church to be represented healthy and well because sometimes the world thinks we are a bunch of judgmental what not? And that's not Jesus' heart either. Okay? But sometimes there are people that actually think their ministry is to be the fault finders. And that really, really grieves me. Okay? Especially in ministry. And I remember I had huge opinions of what I thought certain church leaders needed to do, how they needed to run church, how they needed to do in this ministry, because maybe I served in a church where I had some serving experience, 
but I never had any experience standing in their position. How many has ever experienced that? Where the Lord has convicted me, and really I've, I, I feel like most of that conviction really hit home for me when we planted this church. I, had, I thought I had all sorts of experience. I thought I had, you know, doing church services down to a T just because I served for five years in another local church. I had lots of opinions of how I thought my pastor needed to do this or that. And, you know, you can maybe apply it to your own life. Sometimes we have opinions about our bosses or our spouses or our family members that we believe they need to do this and this and that. And the Lord really convicted me about this because only once I stood in this position, it was like I was looking back and I thought, I just had no idea. And I was so convicted. And I went through, you can ask Johannes, we spoke about this many times. I went through months of actually finding myself constantly repenting of things that I remember saying, even sometimes things I remember thinking, because I, I really thought I had great ideas of what they should be doing differently. And, you know, and, and that's just something that I feel like the Lord wants to remind us again this morning. When we are not actually in somebody's shoes, it's very hard for us to give an opinion. It's very hard for us to point a finger and find a fault when we don't really know. When we do not have all the facts to make an opinion or to make a conclusion. And I believe that as kingdom disciples, that's the heart that God wants us to live by. Treat people maybe with more mercy than what we think they deserve, rather than more judgment or opinion or fault finding. And so this is not a word necessarily that, you know, hits a judgment finger at any of us, but it's a reminder that that is the heart of the kingdom that Jesus wants us to establish. Maybe less fault finding, maybe less opinions, even if we think our opinion is so spot on. Maybe a little bit more mercy, maybe a little bit more grace, because that way we will reap more mercy and we will reap a little bit more grace when we need it from the Lord, when he looks at us. Does that make sense this morning? That's what the Lord really convicted my heart about. The right approach to helping others. Because sometimes someone, when we can see someone is hurting themselves or hurting their family, it grieves us because we love people. And so the Lord knows sometimes that you know, that finger or that opinion or that evaluation of someone's life comes from a place of we love them and we want to see them move into what God has for them. But it's all about, have we gone to the Lord and said, Lord, before I actually give my opinion, please search my own heart. Please help me to see in my own heart, have I dealt with this area in my own life? Have I been able to see your mercy and your gracey for myself in this own area? Because sometimes that place of fault finding comes from a place where we haven't even allowed the Lord to give us mercy in that area. Sometimes as Christians, we can judge ourselves more than we judge other people. And I believe that's something that the Lord also, a burden that the Lord also wants to lift off of people's hearts. Okay, when God gives us grace, we must have grace for ourselves. When God shows us mercy, have mercy on your own heart. Have mercy on your own self. Amen. And so he continues and he says in verse 6, 
Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Okay, Jesus is going from bad to worse. Like he is, he is full on in the sermon. What is he talking about? And I believe what Jesus is talking about here is that he's not only saying, you know, you are allowed to evaluate each other's lives, but don't judge and be hypocritical. But he's also saying at the same time, when we love people, when we forgive people, when we have grace, do not let go of discernment. So at the same time, stick to discernment. What is discernment? Discernment actually means an ability to see what is not evident to the average mind, to distinguish what is true, insight, perception, and wisdom through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is also saying that even though he wants us to love people and have mercy and, you know, see what he sees about them, also be wise. Also have discernment. And pigs in the Old Testament time in the Jewish law was actually referring to an animal or something that is unclean, that is unholy. And in this context, he's referring to people that are openly hostile to the gospel. Who has ever tried to preach the gospel, witness to someone, and they just bat you and bat you and bat you, and they don't want to hear anything about it? Need Aka. Yo, we've all had it. And how discouraging. But Jesus is saying, actually, the pearl represents the precious message of the gospel. At some point, we have to use our discernment and actually leave people. If you've thrown pearl after pearl after pearl and you feel they are just hostile and they back you, bat you and bat you, a good idea would probably be not to go and shove more pearls down their throat. That will actually maybe hurt you. And so he's saying, do not judge hypocritically, but also don't lose your discernment. Okay, live with discernment and make sure that we actually stay in line with his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will tell us when we witness to someone, maybe it's time to actually stop talking and just let our life be the witness. I've had situations in my own family where the Lord has actually said to me, stop. Because <laughs> I love to talk. I love to quote another scripture. You know, and I think in the early days of me getting saved, I was really passionate. I was really excited. Um, I couldn't wait to share everything. And I think this is what people experienced. Literally, as if I was hitting a Bible over their head. Okay, sometimes we can be too strong. <laughs> Sometimes the Holy Spirit will nudge us to just let our life be the witness. Just love. Just apply the principles of the kingdom and let them experience your love and the word of God through your actions rather than your words. That's what he's talking about here. This is kingdom living. Do not lose discernment. Proverbs 9 verse 8 says, Do not rebuke a mocker. In other words, someone who takes no responsibility for their error. Sometimes we want to try and correct someone that, you know what, no matter what you say, what scripture you quote, they're not going to listen to you. The reality that I've also found out in my journey is that we cannot change people. <laughs> Who's noticed that? We cannot change people. The Bible says, only by my spirit. Not by might, not my power, but by my spirit. 
But it says, rebuke a wise man who learns from his error, and he will love you. So Jesus is saying, continue to love people as a kingdom disciple. Build relationship. When we are in relationship, we can actually talk to one another. We are open. We've received permission to give an opinion. But also use discernment and make sure that we follow the Holy Spirit's voice when we try and throw the pearls of the kingdom. Amen. Does it make sense this morning? Okay. You look very serious. I know this is serious. Okay. Then he goes on and he transitions again into verse 11 and he says the following. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, would you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him. And so immediately Jesus transitions again from this place of how I want you to interact and treat one another. And then he says, I know this feels hard to do, but that's why I'm inviting you into a place of relationship with the Heavenly Father because the Bible says that we've got a holy helper. We've got prayer as one of our helping tools to live in the kingdom, God is not expecting us to try and live out these kingdom principles by ourselves. He's not expecting us to try and live at an ethical, moral level that he's illustrating in the Sermon on the Mount without the help of his Holy Spirit, without the help of God, without relationship. So Jesus is actually inviting the crowd that he's speaking to. He's illustrating all these kingdom principles, but he's saying, I'm actually inviting you into a relationship. Everything that he's taught up until this point spoke about empty religion. Everything spoke about my outer behavior and my outer religion, actions that I'm doing. And he says, that is actually not my kingdom. I'm not inviting you to a religion. I'm inviting you into a relationship. With the heavenly father, which in Matthew 6, he said, I will actually give you everything you need. I don't want you to worry about what you are going to eat. I don't want you to worry about what you are going to wear. I don't want you to worry about how you're going to get there and there and there. Because if you seek my kingdom first, I will give it to you. When you ask, it will be given. When you seek, I will open the door. And he's drawing his disciples into this place of relationship and saying, Ask, seek me, and you will find me. It's not actually a suggestion. It's a command. Amen. He's inviting us into relationship. And then in verse 12, he speaks about the golden rule. The scholars actually call it the golden rule. And it says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. 
And what I found amazing about this conclusion, and then he gets ready to, to conclude the entire sermon. But the way that he speaks about this, he is saying that do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. And you know, this was actually not a new idea that Jesus taught. This was taught in the Old Testament law. This, this is taught by many other religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, all of those things teach us the same thing. But what is the difference? Everyone else, including in the Old Testament, it was taught, don't do unto others what you don't want to be done to yourself. It was all in the negative. And who knows, it's very easy not to murder someone, say for example, because you don't want to get killed. Okay, I'm not going to kill Sam because I don't want to get killed. So it's easy to, to function in the negative of don't do to others what you don't want done to yourself. But Jesus comes, upside down kingdom, switches it around and says, do unto others. Now we go into a whole new sermon. Do unto others as you would want to be done to yourself. Who agrees that is a whole new ball game that Jesus is introducing? He's saying this means love your enemies. He's saying forgive when someone has hurt you. He's saying give mercy the same way you want mercy. Give grace the same way you want grace when you make a mistake. So Jesus comes and this is his upside down kingdom. This is the way that he wants us to live. And he says, I'm not calling you to do it by yourself in your own natural strength. I'm actually calling you into a relationship. I'm actually calling you deeper and closer to the Father. Because he is the one that will actually enable us to live like this. And from here, Jesus lands the plane. Okay, he concludes this sermon. And he basically ends off. And I, I did say this series was not going to be Lichte Mesikne. Okay, this was Jesus' first sermon. Okay, he didn't preach anything that was just going to comfort everyone. It is comforting. But it wasn't necessarily ice cream. It was more of a broccoli message. Ne? So Jesus goes and he concludes and he ends off with the last couple of scriptures in Matthew 7. And he says, now, as in conclusion, I'm going to give you two choices. And he lists four things. He speaks about two roads, two gates, two kinds of prophets, two kinds of disciples, and two foundations for life. So he says, these are the choices. This is my kingdom option, and this is the worldly kingdom option. You have the choice. You decide. God has given us a will. He will not force us into his kingdom. We have to actually decide which way we're going to follow. So I'm quickly going to read through verse 13 and 14. He continues. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Now, obviously, Jesus is talking about the narrow road, that he is the only way to the Father. I mean, he is the only way to eternal life. But I actually also believe that the narrow way, the narrow road of the kingdom is actually the road with the Holy Spirit. 
The way of the world is broad, I mean. There's hardly any challenge. There's hardly any reason to actually look at myself or, you know, have to be committed to anything or have to be in a position to actually grow or, you know, I can just stay the way that I am and, you know, Jesus accepts me the way that I am. Absolutely, but he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. And so the narrow way, I believe, is the road of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom life that he's calling us into, the path of the Spirit. Verse 15, he goes and he says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised, uh, disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. He didn't say recognize, uh, recognize them by their gifts. He said, by their fruit, okay? By the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. And just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you will be able to identify people by their actions. So I believe Jesus is here talking about the word prophets actually refers to anyone really that comes in a capacity or a position to teach or to lead in the church or in any capacity of serving and leading for the Lord. But Jesus is again reminding them that the premise of this part of the teaching is you must have discernment. Do not be deceived by the wrong type of teacher, by the wrong type of leader. That's why I'm asking, did you bring your Bible? You have to hold us accountable. You have to make sure that I'm not teaching you heresy this morning. You are allowed to evaluate and to test and to weigh everything that we teach here. Because it has to be in line with the Word of God. It has to be Scripture. Okay, It has to be His heart. And he's saying, don't be fooled by people that have lip service and teach you one thing, but then behind closed doors off the platform, they live another thing. Because in Jesus' words, that's a false prophet. That is a hypocrite. Do you see the theme of hypocrites that he's bringing through from Matthew 5, 6, and 7? He wants us to have discernment. He wants us to either have the real thing or not be part of it at all. Amen? We must live in wisdom and discernment, and we are allowed to be fruit inspectors. If someone gives you a prophetic word, make sure that you know where is the fruit in that person's life. If I don't see the fruit, I don't think I'm going to receive actually what someone's going to give me. What is the fruit? The fruit in Galatians is the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, joy, love, patience, you know, all those things. We're all growing in it. But Jesus is saying, be a fruit inspector. Don't be gullible sheep in the kingdom. It's that balance between mercy and grace, but also having discernment. Amen. Do you see that theme coming through this morning? Then he continues in verse 21, and he says, Not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do, everyone say do, do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. 
And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We casted out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. And Jesus says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I know this is heavy this morning. The Amplified actually says, get away from me, you who practice lawlessness. Again, Jesus is illustrating just as there are two types of prophets and teachers, there are two types of disciples. Just because someone uses Christianese language, hallelujah, praise the Lord, does not mean that they are actually a disciple and a follower and a doer of the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, do not be a disciple in word, but not in deed. He's saying, I'm actually calling you into a relationship. And when you are in relationship with me, you will be changed and molded and shaped to do the will of my father. That's what it means in relationship. He's not calling disciples to be perfect. Amen. But he's calling us into a relationship where it's not just something we do or attend on a Sunday morning, but it's actually the way we live 24-7. That's his kingdom. His kingdom is not church service an hour and a half on a Sunday. It is 24 hours, 24-7, kingdom, disciple, growing. Lord, I pointed a finger at someone today. I'm so sorry. Please help me love them. Please help me to see the way you see them. Amen. That is relationship. That's what he's calling us into. He warns us against self-deception of people having a verbal profession of lordship, but there is no obedience to the will of God. That's what he is calling us to. He's calling us to a place of obeying and of doing his word. And then he concludes the parable and he says this, and I love this, verse 24 to 27. Let me read it on the screen. It says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Is that, what, 27? Yes, that's right. So Jesus concludes with this parable. And he's saying, beloved disciples, there is actually a choice to be made. My heart is for you to build on the foundation that will last. In other words, when the storms come, when the rain come, I want you to stand. I don't want you to crumble because you haven't built on a proper foundation of bedrock. And what was so profound to me is I did a bit of research on the Sermon of the Mount. And I love to listen to people who regularly go to Israel and, you know, go to the Holy Land and go and see where Jesus walked and what Jesus taught and and this one scholar actually says that when he went to Israel, they actually discovered a lot of homes that were actually built on bedrock, that the foundations are still there. Even after 2,000 plus years, it is still there. Johannes told me when he was working in Greece in Thessaloniki, 
every other month they find more foundations and it becomes an archaeological site where they're not allowed to build because in the time of Paul's ministry and those guys, the way that they built on those foundations have stood the test of time for thousands of years. How crazy is that? I thought that was well. And that is what Jesus is saying here. The choice is, what foundation will we build our lives upon? And that is the question that I feel Johannes and I have when this is our vision, when this is the mandate that God has given us as a community and not just us, Christianity, disciples all over the world as a whole, our job is to establish the kingdom on earth. But if we are not going to make a choice to live in his kingdom ways, kingdom values, that means we are not going to be able to be the salt and the light to influence the world around us. And then when he comes back and he rewards everything that we've done, what will we have to say? And so I know I'm preaching to the converted this morning, but I think this entire Sermon of the Mount was such an encouragement and reminder and a lot of conviction to my own heart of areas where I really need to make a choice that actually this is the way of the kingdom. This is the way that I have to live. And even though it's hard, I've got the Holy Spirit by me 24-7. I've got the Lord, my Heavenly Father. I can just pray and He will give. I can pray and He will move mountains for me and He will help me and He will grow me. And I promise you, when we pray and we say, Lord, help me, grow me, He will not delay. Amen. Who knows that when you pray for fruit of the Spirit, when you pray for these things to be cultivated in your heart, the Lord is actually already at work. Okay, there is nothing that He cannot do with a disciple that have decided, I am sold out for the kingdom. I am going to make sure that I am set apart and the world is actually not going to corrupt me. The world is not going to dictate me. What this world has to offer will never ever be anything close to what God can give me. It will never ever be close to what Jesus died to give me. And to me, that is the essence of the whole Sermon of the Mount. Jesus said, this is my kingdom. This is my way. I can't know Frank Sinatra sing me, but I was tempted. Okay, this is my way. Are we going to settle in our lives for a superficial religion? Or are we actually going to dig deep and say, yes, Lord, I have the courage to walk your narrow way? Because it is narrow. It will cost us. But the cost and the sacrifice far outweighs the blessing and the life that he has planned for us. Amen. Who has seen that in your own life? Come on. There must be more. Yes. Okay. Does that make sense this morning? Does it make sense this morning? This is good news. Verse 28, he ends off and it says that when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. 
But I didn't realize is actually when you go and do a study, the religious leaders of the day, the scribes of the day, the teachers of the day always had to quote other scriptures. They always had to quote other sources to establish their authority. Jesus never had to because he is the word. He is the authority. He is the word that became flesh. So when he taught, people were amazed. When he taught, they were bewildered. And they thought to themselves, who is this man? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Amen. And that man is calling us. The son of man, the son of God is calling us into that relationship. And so why don't you just close your eyes this morning. And I want to pray for some people this morning. I really believe that Jesus is here and he's calling us into a place of deeper relationship. I believe that's what the Sermon on the Mount really speaks to. He says, beloved, this is my kingdom. This is where I am leading you to. This is the way that I want you to live. Because I've got a plan for you and I've got a purpose for you. And I want you to be the salt that brings out the God flavors of this earth. I want you to be the light that brings out the God colors of this world. And in this process of following me and of choosing my way, I'm going to take you on a journey. I'm going to show you who you are. I'm going to show you why you have been created. And I'm going to show you your destiny and your life's purpose. But I give you the choice. You can choose my kingdom. Or you can choose the superficial kingdom of this world. And church, this morning I want to pray firstly for a group of people. And I know some of the things that we spoke about this morning can feel heavy on our hearts. But it's actually a place of freedom. And I really felt convicted in my own heart that first few scriptures where he spoke about when we give opinion, sometimes when we easily find fault or find a temptation in our heart to criticize other people. I believe that the Lord wants to heal that inside of our hearts. And I actually repented when I was preparing this message because I felt like this was an area that the Holy Spirit was convicting me in. Sometimes it's easy for me to give an opinion or to say something about someone else where really I've never ever been in their shoes. I haven't walked their journey. I haven't had their day. I don't know their struggle and I don't know what they have been through. And if that convicts anyone else this morning, I just want you to gently raise your hand while everyone's eyes are closed. And I'm just going to pray a prayer for us and ask the Lord to just forgive us of that and, and come and do a healing inside of our hearts to release His grace and His mercy to us so that we can give it freely to others the way He's given it to us. 
And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you see every hand raised this morning. And Lord, we just want to come and bring this before you and we want to repent, Lord. We want to say we are sorry, Father, for times where we have felt tempted to speak over people, to point fingers at people, to give opinion maybe where our opinion wasn't asked. And Lord, even though sometimes we feel like we want to do it because we love people, your heart is actually for us to extend grace to extend mercy. And so this morning, Lord, as we repent and we ask for your forgiveness, we receive it this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you would cultivate a heart of mercy and a heart of grace in us. As well as discernment, Lord, I just ask for a fresh portion of discernment over all of us this morning. That we will be able to discern, Lord, how you want us to treat other people, how you want us to live among one another. As iron sharpens iron, Lord, you are calling us to evaluate each other, Lord, to lead each other to greater places, to greater areas of freedom. But Lord, it's not our place to condemn. It's not our place to speak a verdict of guilty. It is yours. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be kingdom disciples that would live lives of mercy, that would live lives of grace, Lord, and that we would have discernment to know how to witness to those around us, Father. Lord, and I pray that you would make us agents of love in this city and in this nation. And we thank you, Lord, that we are all a work in progress and you are working on all of us. You are shaping all of us. And that even though we are not perfect, you can use us and you move through us, Lord, to be the salt and the light in a world that is hurting, in a world that is confused, in a world that is dark and desperately needs the saving power of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to pray for a second group of people. Maybe you have already made a decision to follow the Lord, but you've drifted away somewhere in this world the pressures of this world, different things in this world has caused you to just drift off slightly to the broad path. And you find yourself in a place where this morning you know Jesus is calling you closer. You know Jesus is saying it's time to make a decision. It's time to decide to become a doer of the word and not just a listener of the word. And I love that the mandate at Living Word Church is also to be doers of the Word. We might make mistakes as we attempt it. But that's why we have the Holy Spirit as our helper. That's why we have our Heavenly Father. That's why we have Jesus as our example. And that's why we're in community together. So we grow together and we make mistakes together and we pull one another up. But I want to ask this morning, if you are here and you feel like God is calling you to make a decision to choose to be a kingdom disciple in word and in deed. Then I want you to raise your hand this morning and I'm going to pray for us. My hand is raised because I believe that the Lord is calling us. If we want to see just as the Sermon on the Mount closes off, the next chapter starts by saying, and Jesus went everywhere doing signs, wonders, and miracles. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see more of the power of God everywhere I walk, everywhere I go.
everyone that I speak to. Our prayer is that this church will be a church that literally brings the light in the darkness. And so, Father, you see every hand raised this morning. Lord, and I thank you, Father, that you love us enough not to leave us the way that we are. We thank you for the precious gift of your Holy Spirit that will transform us, that will heal us, that will shape us, that will mold us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be doers of your word, that you would help us, Father, to apply these kingdom principles in our lives so that we are able to see your kingdom established on this earth. And Lord, no matter what we are struggling with, no matter how much we feel we are missing it every day, we thank you for your arms that are wide open. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love, Lord. Your love that will heal us in every area that we are hurting. We thank you for church family that we don't have to do this life alone. And Lord, we are committing ourselves, recommitting our hearts this morning, Lord, to seek your kingdom first. Teach us how to walk in your ways. Teach us how to obey you in every area. We open up our lives to you, Lord, and we ask, Lord, come and have lordship over every area of our life. We love you this morning, Lord, and we are so expectant, Lord. We are so excited to see what you are going to do in this city, through this church, through every other church that you've established here, Lord, in the nation of Namibia. And Lord, we are trusting to see your kingdom come in our schools, in our government, in our homes, in our marriages, in our workplaces, Lord. Everywhere we go, we want to see the kingdom of Jesus Christ established. And so we thank you for your words. Help us to build that foundation. Help us to build a foundation of bedrock, Lord, that will keep us standing when the storms come. And Jesus, I pray a blessing over every person. May the seed of your word produce great fruit in our lives, Lord, in this week and in the weeks to come. We honor your name and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.